Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. I'm Nathan. You can find me at Twitter at DazzlerAOA. That's like Dazzler in the spooky age of apocalypse. And I hope you survived this experience. Unlike my hopes for Forge being an actual decent person. I'm very much in line with that. Now, of course, you guys can check the show out at XSForPodcast.com and XSForPodcast on Twitter. And I am so excited to be here and talking about five titles, well, five issues across three titles that have some really unique common threads have some really special elements that make them interesting. And I'm so ready to jump into this right away. We're going to be taking a look at X-Men 15 and 16, X-Force 32 and 33, as well as the anniversary size, I guess they say, Wolverine 25. And I've also pulled up some interesting things about these numbers that I find particularly of note. I just want to mention that Jerry Duggan, Joshua Kassara, Guru EFX, and Clayton Cowles are responsible for X-Men number Number 15. That made it sound so serious. <laughs> they, they also are responsible. Ooh, it just got worse for X-Men 16, right? Now, the X-Force and Wolverine issues are all written by Ben Percy. And the art here is really funny because Josh Kassara started out being with Ben Percy and now he's over with Jerry Duggan. Filling in on X-Force, we have Robert Gill, once again, Guru EFX, and Joe Caramagna, as well as on issue 33. Lastly, Wolverine 25 has a number number of creators thanks to a backup story that perhaps feels a little bit too art heavy to me at times but the main story by Ben Percy has incredible art by Federico Vincentini colors by Frank Darmada and letters by Corey Pettit while the backup story Barbrawl still written by B Percy has pencils by Greg Land Juan Ferreira Kyle Charles Andrea DeVita Klaus Jansen Emma Kubert with inks by Jay Liston Guillermo Ortego colors by Frank Martin and Juan Ferreira and letters once again by VCCP. Okay, so a lot of fucking credits, but every one of those people deserves credit for their incredible work. And I was putting this list together and we were talking about it and holy shit, Jerry Duggan and Ben Percy are the only two people that have been on an X book since the dawn of the Krakoan age. Yeah. That's so crazy. You know, I think maybe it's not so crazy that they have been consistently on, but maybe that there's not one other voice that is not a cishet man in the mix. I've been thinking Teeny Howard is, but then like I know I know there was a little break between Excalibur and Knights of X. Probably the only <coughs> non-male voice that has been a consistent part of the X line since his relaunch, but like not even to the extent of these two here. And they've both had at times two books going on. So where she's only had one book usually within the X line. So it's it's really interesting to realize that actually. And as fascinating as Excalibur and Knights of X are, and I'd love 
love those books. I really do. I don't, I'm nothing bad to say about them. They are a little bit like running on their own, really happy to have you here, but go do your own thing in the other room. The big guys are playing in the living room with all the good toys. And the stuff that Duggan and Percy do is really interwoven with the entire X line, with crossover stuff. Like it is really setting a lot of pace for important story beats. And I just don't think the other world stuff is being given that same weight for reasons that might make a lot of sense. But the exception, of course, of the iconic kiss between Betsy and Rachel, there just hasn't been as much emphasis for marketing, editorial or story about that book and their, by extension, that creator than there has been for the set of books and the creators that we're talking about now. It feels like they've all had their own like X-Men line wide crossover. And I think Teenies came earlier than these other two. So it's easier to forget that. But it's also been a longer amount of time since this happened. And I think in a lot of ways, because I'm completely with you, I think what we saw was an unfortunate relationship between the nature of writers. John Hickman as head of X and as the guy that was given the mad props for the Krakoan age, I think was a little bit more synonymous with Apocalypse than was Teeny Howard, who even though she was writing Excalibur, which heavily featured Apocalypse, in so many ways, Apocalypse's appearances in X-Men greatly overshadowed hers, leading it to feel like the Apocalypse stuff in X of Swords or Ten of Swords or, you know, Crossing of the Swords, whatever we're calling it today. Ooh, okay, <laughs> X-Men the Crossing. So, oh, um, yes. Do we get a baby cable out of it? Oh my God, it already happened. <laughs> yeah, so this is perfect. So uh, X-Men the Crossing, uh, you know, I wonder now how much of that was John Hickman, who we already knew was like preparing to depart at that point. It feels like maybe even in all this, knowing that Teeny Howard has had several runs and, you know, X-Core did run at the same time as Excalibur for a bit there. Absolutely. It just feels like she's never been given the same room or I guess respect that we see Jerry Duggan and Ben Percy, which is, of course, no fault of theirs. You know, this isn't some conspiracy where the two of them are like, (laughs) how can we scheme the attention away from Teeny Howard? Let's spread rumors that she doesn't really like the X-Men. Like, that's not (laughs) happening. Well, and of course, X-Men, X-Force, and Wolverine are going to be three of the hugest books, no matter what. Like, the gravity that is won simply by by being a creator on one of those three titles is significant without anything else factoring in. Now, Jerry Duggan, among other things, you know, I'm not here to, you know, limit his contributions, but Jerry Duggan, among other things, was responsible for Marauders 1 through 27, plus some specials, and Cable 1 through 12 before he ever picked up X-Men. We're now here to discuss the 15th and 16th issues of his X-Men, but he's also done things like Devil's Reign X-Men. How do we feel about Jerry Duggan's body of work so far? I think I was a biggest, at my like highest peak Jerry Duggan fan, earliest Marauders, but I definitely had some strong vibes about Cable that just would have been a lot stronger if it hadn't ended so abruptly. How does everybody feel about Jerry Duggan's essentially strong, hard line through the X-Books since day one of the Krakoan Age? You're really singing my song there with, uh, I connected most with early Marauders, though I think Marauders throughout was very consistent. Cable was a fantastic 12 issues that I maybe wish that the ending and the connection to other stuff had been different. I don't think any of it was bad. It was just kind of, I, you know, as much as I love the old man Cable that we all know, I maybe was not quite ready to let 
let go of Kid Cable. I thought there was a lot of potential there. I thought how that interacted with all the Summers family stuff was very interesting. So I that was unfortunate to me. That wasn't even necessarily his fault. X-Men, the first 12 issues, I think I had some trouble connecting with it throughout. I am a bit more able to appreciate what it was giving us now that the first 12 issues are done. There are things like the fact that we changed up the team with a Hellfire Gallon of Vote that feel off to me, but that first 12 to me, at the end of the day, was solid, if not my favorite, if there was just stuff that I had some trouble with. These issues, these three that we have had since we got the vote and have the new team, um, these four that we've had since we got the vote and have the new team, I am having a lot of trouble with. It feels like a very hard turn into a really different tonal shift and a very different conception of a bunch of characters and just of the idea of these people as a whole that right now it's a little difficult to sit with. I gotta agree with like like my peak of being a, a Duggan liker is gonna be Marauder's Savage Avengers when he was doing both of those. I was like, oh cool, like these are really syncing up, like everything's going, like I'm like, cool, I see where this is. Like he had a really good grasp in line with continuity of those characters. Like, yes, there were there issues, yes, was Storm criminally underused, absolutely. But <laughs> Dugan really knew how those characters worked. And with the X-Men team, I think the first 12 issues they got better as the team went on ever since the vote i gotta agree with you tk this is like i don't love these iterations of these characters they even the three characters that stayed on the book uh you know sync obviously hasn't featured much but scott and gene don't seem like the same scott and gene from that other team i get that they're thrust in new team dynamics <laughs> and new team situations but something's seeming very off on the presentation of them i love that you said iterations because this is krakoa and they could literally be different iterations Iterations, which would give us something to work with when it comes to like not connecting with them. Right. Unless there is a really big surprise coming. I do not think that is what is happening, but it's funny because, you know, you use that phrase and immediately a storyline comes to my mind that could make this a little easier to swallow, but we're just here. This actually just is Scott and Gene. And yep. that feels very weird. Oh, but maybe because they did play with that idea a little bit in, in Way of X, that crazy anti-Hellfire Gala they had, you know, where Onslaught was eating yeah, the yeah. stuff in the margins. So maybe now that he's not eating the stuff in the margins, maybe they're like, this is how they are. I mean, I would be happy to have a surprise like that that really made us look back at these early issues and see something that we never realized was there. Oh no, I had caption poisoning. I'm so sorry. <laughs> It's a it's a real affliction, and it 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 affects a lot of heroes. So we should just keep that in mind. And Scott and Gene thing, like he wrote those characters before. Like, why are they so like? There's got to be like, there's got to be something going on. Like, why are they so different? Like, the Scott and Gene from before were like kind of like cool versions of Scott and Gene, and now they're just like weird bickering version characters. I don't know. I agree with you. I think we're gonna get into a lot of discussion about the sort of comparative iterations of these characters because it's not just Scott and Gene 
scene that I kind of actually see existing in both Duggan and Percy's narratives ongoingly. Yes. And yet I just don't feel like they're the same people. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, now Ben Percy has had a pretty unforgettable run of things at Marvel for a while. <laughs> and I'm not here to, you know, say anyone has total control or like creative market share exactly. But it is really of note that, you know, Ben Percy has his hand in a lot of storytelling. And with 33 issues of X-Force plus 25 issues of Wolverine plus 10 issues of Lives and Deaths of Wolverine, the guy has had like an unbelievable like 70 issues of Krakoan real estate time. I think that's so significant because I feel in many ways and I don't have any insult with this, but he's been telling one very specific the darkness is in us story that hasn't moved forward almost as if it's meant to always be reminding us that that could be happening. And I, I think with Percy, that's that 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 dedication to that one story is a strength and a weakness at the same time. Like I was talking to Steve about this before I jumped on the recording. Like you know, Percy's stories don't always read as well as single issue. I think Percy's stories to me have been reading better if you go through and sit and read them in a in a group and let this complete story tell. Like it seems like he's got like maybe a different cadence that works better for like trade waiting kind of situations. The one thing I will really give him a ton of credit for is he has a vision for who Wolverine is and what Wolverine does and it is consistent and he sticks to it and he employs that vision a lot throughout two different series, a bunch of mini series, a random issue or two of Ghost Rider here and there. It's all over the place. And I don't agree with a few pieces of it that are like relatively minor. I just see things a little bit differently, but on the whole, I think his devotion to this character is really special and significant, and it's been important for that part of developing the Krakoan era. I think that in the future, should we move away from this or have a really different version of the Krakoan era, this will be one of those times that we look back at and sort of our conception of Logan will come a lot from how Ben Percy has written him in this book. He is definitely telling one story he has you know it's a it's a grand story for sure there are times where it does feel like we don't move forward or backward we kind of just expand who is caught in the net best example right now has been omega red which is actually a lot of that has been really cool it has been cool to see him sort of vacillate in terms of morality to see sage try and deal with that but we are still just kind of waiting to see how many war crimes beast can pile up before somebody says we need to talk For me, I think one of the biggest examples of what's going on in the world of X-Force that's getting hard to miss is there's so much much body horror in X-Force at all times. And I think we're starting to see it sort of like proliferate the other X-Books a little bit more. Not that body horror wasn't already like a big thing at Marvel, but it's become such a staple. This sort of like organic hideousness is such an element of the storytelling here. 
here that when I see it blend into X-Men, like the Caliban bodysuit from hell. Oh my God. What a goddamn mistake that was. Well, you know, I mean, weird, understandable why it's happening, I guess, kind of. I don't know. The thing to me is just like the body horror of it all is enough to already have us at a good level of like, sometimes the X-Men go really hard. The fact that there is this whole thing that he's been deceived into this and Forge really kind of fucked him over and was completely dishonest. That to me was one of those moments of I really had trouble connecting with it and feeling like even if I can give Forge the, you know, even if I can say like, you know, as a scientist, he might be a little more morally gray. He might be more on the Professor X and Beast side of like, we do whatever we have to to keep our nation safe. That one, doing that to Caliban just really felt like if we're already going to put him in a weird suit, that feels like enough of a moral compromise and writing some kind of like even like an honest but maybe a little bit pressury like you know we're gonna do this Caliban but like you, you really should not say no it would be terrible to say no even that would be more something I could jive with this is this really was a moment that I had a lot of trouble staying in the book I really loved the visual of that look it really drew it really reminded me of during the Kulanga saga when Kulanga like merge Professor Xavier and Caliban. Like I was like, oh cool. <laughs> kind of had that same kind of look and feel to it. Besides that though, like it Forge like never seemed like the character that would go that far. Like he even had some reservations about the um you know the mutant depowering gun that he had. So like it just seems kind of like a forge that kind of go in the same way in line with what Hank McCoy is and I don't know if it's just having you know this dream homeland government that Forge can like latch on to and help build because we all know he believes in government because how long did he work for the US government or like building stuff that helped just like destroy mutants so like whether that or being a soldier yeah <laughs> right yeah so you know maybe it's just he's found this new allegiance and this is how he thinks he can do it but the whole thing is <sighs> so icky Ugh, so icky and it just like it feels unbecoming of a man who once had the love of Storm uh, agreed and I want to say that specifically the switch over into including body horror in multiple titles makes it a little bit more at home in X-Force. When I saw the little plant body Deadpool fetus mm. thing, mm-hmm. uh, mm. you know, that's just what it is. It's mm-hmm. We're talking about a book that it features characters that sort of thrive on pushing the envelope a little bit too far. And I think that's part of the storytelling that we're looking at here when we're talking about this new era of X-Men. And with X-Men 15 and X-Men 16, Jerry Duggan took on the responsibility of being the like load bearer with the Children of the Vault. Now, I personally think Children of the Vault is a like super sacred story, and I'm not even in love with the Krakoan era under John Hickman picking it up, but I especially don't get what's going on with the Children of the Vault, and I have some opinions on Havoc acting like this is 1987 all over again. Lord but almighty. I really want to get where we start with Children of the Vault. How do you guys feel about the usage of this really one-of-a-kind team in the modern era? I think its continual usage is diluting it like the power of the Phoenix Force <laughs> and the 
specialness of that story. It is a really cool, inventive idea. Um, but the, the more you have to tell it and the more mythos and lore you have to give it, the, the more diluted of a story it's become to me. And I don't know if that's a quality of the writing or just the fact that the idea can't, the idea can't stay as special the more you use it. You know, I get the need. I think Sink, Laura, and Darwin going into a mission that might be they're never coming back from or could get very complicated and there's time and a whole life involved, all really cool. I think there were elements that could have been derived from the Children of the Vault story, like, you know, it's been abandoned, but the time is still wonky and that's why they're going in. So some of the elements, I think, were really cool for moving other character stories forward. As far as the Children of the Vault specifically, yeah, it is a sacred story. And Nico, it's that thing we've been talking about a bunch lately, like the what's going on in your mind, what you make up about what life is like for the Children of the Vault and what their world is like is always going to be creepier than what you get on the page. This is, I think, a time where trying to give answers and visibility to this particular set of characters doesn't really benefit anybody. It's very clear there are a lot of threats to the mutants keeping everybody in peril. I get that's what it has to be for storytelling reasons. There are a lot of those threats that are still kind of around and not really being mentioned. So feels like we had other options. But like I said, some of the like MacGuffins and mechanical parts of this are important for moving characters forward in story. And I loved that. I really love this idea that Sync has memories of living a whole life with Laura. I feel like we could have gotten there without doing so much stuff that really, as Nathan put it, dilutes the the mythos of Children of the Vault that we have that is so special to a lot of us, I think. And I wonder a little bit more about like the vault opens right away and we're just so immediately, for my sake, thrust into this like bigness of the vault. I'm not even sure what I, I feel so much as my first problem with the Duggan X-Men run ever was that issue two was like event level, like crossover event level big. Oh, Annihilation event on Earth, yes. Yeah, and now we have issue three and issue three. <laughs> and now here in issue 15, not only is the universe going to end if the children of the vault get out, and I mean the universe, I mean they kill Doom somehow, <laughs> but yeah. Charles has TK and that's the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> I don't mind the Charles TK thing. It is a very common crossover. I it Inferno, it bothered me because he did a huge power move. I like the idea that like he can pour a, pour a scotch. I think he maybe gets one punch on a Nimrod that like saps him of all his energy and basically kills him, but it can't be more than that. So if we're on the subject of overpowered mutants, does everybody feel like maybe this is just a little too much sinister at this point? He's in like every book and I understand that we're entering the age of sinister or we're watching sinister's drag race or we're all heading for drop dead sinister mm -hmm. whatever it is okay oh, sinister the next generation <laughs> deep space sinister i can do this all day the sinister orville okay but i i don't know this is not the same sinister that's running around the kieran gillen books and no. it sort of feels like you're either a kieran gillen book or you're these books and that's not a bad thing it's not like oh this other book you know kieran 
Gillen book has a little bit more cerebral action. This is a little bit more fucking fighting, and I think fucking fighting in comics is cool. But how is this the same Sinister running around Judgment Day? Because even though these books say Judgment Day, these are not <laughs> Judgment Day. I appreciate it, but no. And, you know, again, to what Nathan said, iterations, there actually is another Sinister. Yeah. <laughs> that Jerry Duggan created and introduced. <laughs> So, you know, to be really cavalier about tone switching and like what is what makes logical sense to see a character in multiple books in very different ways. I just it it, it also is kind of diluting this really great character concept that we got from Karen Gillen, where we updated this dude from kind of a silly 90s uh, over the top, but not in any tongue in cheek kind of way to exactly that over the top flamboyant foppish dandy but super evil and insane solipsistic all really cool things and i other people have used this concept and have gotten some mileage out of it kieran gillen obviously owns it and is anytime he takes it up it is correct and awesome but it is approaching too much as we go from everything that's just happening in immortal that has nothing to do with judgment day into the huge role that he plays in the creation of the progenitor the role that he's playing now in this mission that's playing out throughout multiple solo one-shot books and then and now we have this which you know granted there's not a time problem like this is the this is a physically possible thing it's not a two places at once thing it is a really different vision for the character that isn't really squaring having introduced another sinister already it just seems like there's this is something that might give you pause when you're writing this like how can i do I, do I bring Kieran Gillen on board for a second to like collaborate on what this dialogue is going to look like? Or do I establish in some way that there is a reason why this feels markedly different from the character that we're seeing everywhere else? I think Duggan and Percy play along well together in a way that maybe like Gillen and um, Ewing do. So like like there seems like there's two Krakoan universes, two Krakoan like ongoing like version. But then yeah, when you have the characters crossover it's such a such a marked jump like the sinister is not the sinister is not the same sinister i'm seeing in any other play absolutely which okay now i try to think about like this narrative flow of character the sort of way that we see these characters come into being who they are and the way that that influences how we interact with the work and something i realized through a number of the discussions we've had on the show and through discussions i've had with the amazing members of the team sinister has actually been poised to be part of so many people's stories by virtue of who he's connected with of course scott and gene by virtue of every story he's ever had but because he's been involved with Sabretooth, that does put him in league with wolverine which is also the thread of origin too because he is hellfire related and apocalypse related well of course he makes sense to intersect with warren worthington there's automatically threads of him and beast together because they used to both work for apocalypse in dazzler in dazzler's nathan's sake i gotta go <laughs> i do not remember those dazzler issues oh my god i'm so sorry but in the age of apocalypse oh fuck me in the okay so i really think there's just so few characters that you can't be like yeah yeah Sin sinister touched their dna helix and it doesn't make you feel good but i guess if he is going to be everywhere 
we're going to have such a level of character variance. But, you know, I think the fact that you point out that by default, he is like he would be in a lot of people's lives is all the more reason why you really have to be careful actually putting it on page uh, when you do. Um, it, it just there are other scientists and other options for Forge besides connecting with Sinister for this particular part of the plan. Dr. Nemesis could have been a great one for this. It didn't have to be Sinister. And the fact that it's believable that it would be because of his connections to everybody, I think, you know, when pitching and developing stories, that might be the time where I would say, you know, if we can't come up with something better, it's great that we always have Sinister. But because we always have Sinister, we've got to be really careful about how we're using him. And like, above, like it also speaks to like how I, I don't recognize this version of Forge because Forge was never dumb enough to have made a deal with Sinister. Like, like Forge before would have never done that. Especially not post-Dire Wraith. Like, not yeah. after the guy was already like, yeah, no, my life got pretty fucked up by working with that dude, so <laughs> I'm gonna stay away. There's a few other, I, uh, gosh, I really do not care for Havoc in the Krakoan Age. I'm not sure I'm actually a Havoc fan. Like, <laughs> that might even be a thing I need to grapple with maybe i'm just not a havoc fan and okay but i'm not <laughs> and it's not that i don't think because you know what like i think one of the main tenets of himbo as somebody who really really appreciates a nice friendly bottom himbo <sighs> i i think one of the things is you got to be friendly you got to be sweet and playful and fun and i'm not like trying to tell someone how to be a person or be who they are or whatever but for me, one of the things that does come to mind is I want my characters to be like attractive and likable. And I feel very much that the way that these characters have fallen in place is sort of outside of that realm. I feel like the characters spend a good, oh man, 30% of the time complaining that they got voted onto the team. <laughs> and that was in the first volume. And now it's again in this volume. And I get it. Like, I remember the early days of the New Mutants, and I mean this with love, but <laughs> Monsieur Claremont sure did find ways for people to be shocked by racial things over and over again <laughs> in ways that, like, maybe should have come up earlier. It was, It's always just like, but what is that language you're speaking, Roberto? Like, you know, it was it, it was always a, a little bit teach me how to Spanglish. And I think those level of, like, silly drama, you can maybe spare me a few of those pages. The why screen beauty and the masterful storytelling that was put forth in those early pages and then the repeated sequence giving it a cinematic quality really took me somewhere and showed me an expressive side of Jerry Duggan that really thrilled me where he's able to surrender to his artist and create a moment that embraces you. But then I get these moments where Havoc blasts Scott through the, the bubble. Like, oh, that's just rank. That's amateur. That's literally amateur havoc and i would rather have vulcan here than you well and that's a great example because vulcan feels like even after all this time would still go off like that i think havoc i just don't believe that he even has regressed this badly but really what i mean is that he has not had any character growth this whole scott and alex fighting thing is so old and so silly and that the nature of a brother feeling overshadowed 
overshadowed by his bigger, more successful brother, that that wouldn't shift as that person grew older. Um, and, you know, maybe it would shift for the worse or the more extreme. But in Havoc's case, it was so extreme from the start that I think really turning into a different form of self-loathing or self-doubt, fully possible, but I can't see them physically fighting like this anymore. That is literally 60s X-Men stuff. Yeah, like, there is always going to be tension on Alex's part. First, for some reason, he can't let that go. But, like, Zeb Wells, Hellions, like, their relationship was totally different. And how does that relationship go from that to to punching each other out at a battle? Like, uh... And it feels like they really took that he had the shift in Axis and were like, well, now he is just back to the worst possible version of himself and we're starting from square one. Which just, you know, there are character i mean we just don't talk about what emma did in ivx like just never comes up that's not a part of her character history it's completely forgotten as soon as it was done so we know that it is not super important to pay homage to the fact that havoc was through powers turned into a shithead for a couple weeks um we could never bring that up again and it would be fine but it seems like people really like to use it as a way to make him i quote problematic but he's not he's just kind of unlikely likable and kind of uninteresting and i just don't feel like for all the background that i've read of havoc and you know i was a huge uh havoc's x-factor fan uh don't ask me why um but this is a character that has had a lot of shit happen in his life he is a different person than he was when he started than he was even in the 90s on x-factor and i think it's time that somebody sit down and decide to make it a radical shift i think it's time for somebody to love havoc the way jerry or <clears throat> i think it's time for somebody to love havoc the way that ben percy loves wolverine and to really put on paper a new vision for this character that you kind of can't walk back anymore yeah poor havoc he's like the only character from axis who they ever mention the uh you know the personality flip like tony stark <laughs> and Sabretooth. they really do not bring that up <laughs> never again ever like so, like maybe we could do that with with havoc and at some point so say a character that they know is having issues like Havoc. So if Havoc were to go out in public and destroy something, like that's not just on Havoc at that point. That's on the X-Men. It's kind of like I will forever blame the Avengers for if she ever goes on a team again, anything she ever does, because why would you put her on a superhero team again after everything that's happened? Mm -hmm. So it's the same kind of with Havoc. Like, why would you let him be on a superhero team after everything that's happened? I think because we, as a fan of comics have such a hard time letting go of characters that we feel connected to. And I think there is, whether we like it or not, in many of us, sort of a, maybe a like a, I don't like that I feel this way, jealousy of someone else that you care about. And perhaps that, that sort of defining jealousy is that ugliness that we wish we could reject is one of the things that is defining of Havoc. And I wonder a little bit about the fact that Havoc covered his head in that, you know, baggy thing. And for a while, that was his look. And I just feel as though perhaps Havoc spent a lot of time physically aping his brother and matching his brother's every move in a way that doomed him to have to become the summers we shit on. We need someone to take that blame. And I think Gabriel. it's just, it can't be Gabriel. Gabriel's too broken. That's actually just an attack on mental health. Like, <laughs> Um, but you know, Alex, we can we can 
see in our mind's eye how Alex is responsible for so many of Alex's bad decisions. <laughs> and I wonder if that's because we can see so many of ourselves in the writers and Alex has become that whipping boy for those things we don't like in ourselves. I think that's a really generous conception. I love it. And I that you could take and work with. It's not just that Havoc is really dislikable. It's that it is in a kind of stagnant way that does not give me any... Like, I'm not even getting from this that he's like the man-child that can't grow up. I'm just getting that nobody has figured out what to do with Havoc and is leaving him unlikable for story beats. But, you know, I would perfectly accept, like, some character work on Havoc that establishes that all of this that we're seeing is actually the result of him being unwilling and unable to work on himself and develop. And so he just always seems like he's the same asshole or the fact that he is so put out by Scott's success that he becomes this aggressive no matter what and hasn't grown as a character is for a bunch of reasons that we explore. But it just doesn't feel like anybody has the will to work with the character in that way. So he just is used for interpersonal conflict that no matter what you do, the other problem is it's been done before. If what was happening between him and Scott was like a constant second guessing that was done kind of quietly, intensely, where Havoc's like, you know, I've also been a team leader and like, I think you're doing this wrong and I think you're doing this wrong. And then like the exchange is just really uh, kind of like catty and snobby. Sure, sure. Anything but they blast each other with their powers that I thought we established don't work on each other, but whatever. There's already plenty of fighting in this book. We don't need it. And speaking of characters that it feels like can't get away from the unfortunate cycles that they are faced with say it laura did not need to be the one in the chamber i am so excited that marvel is releasing that upcoming x23 omnibus we have the all new wolverine omnibus and i love it so much that i'm really excited to have this collection of a predominant volume of her pre wolverine appearances without including all of the new x-men academy x follow-up new x-men series appearances i just want to be clear that it's not the other new X-Men. I'm not like having some sort of weird series of mental breakdowns where I'm like, I just imagine her in all the Wolverine appearances. No, like yep. she's in the other new X-Men book and hopefully they do an omnibus edition of that as well so that, you know, I can have a collection. I just, mm -hmm. I would not have wanted to see one of the only women in this issue be basically a womb. Yikes. Yeah. Simple as it didn't need to be that. I'm sure there is a story beat. The only thing I will be interested to see is that Sink will get to speak to the woman that he loved and that he shared a life with. And I was a little disappointed that that got cut off so quickly. And even if that gets resolved here, the way that it got cut off in that in that run of X-Men that was so highlighting Sink, even if what we get from this is satisfactory in some way, a real opportunity was missed there to sort of continue elevating his life and his formation of himself as this like incredibly powerful, loving, kind, good person. We'll get that piece back in some capacity here, but the magic is a little bit gone at this point. I don't like the implications of where the story could go, because I could see cool, they get out of the vault, you know, okay, cool, so then it sets up, now there's two Lauras, like, so what happens when one of them dies? Are they separate people now? Do they get count, do they count for a re resurrection now? So, like, are there going to be two versions of Laura? Like, is Sink gonna, like, fall in love with this Laura again? And then she 
she'll die and then he'll be heartbroken again. Like, I just, I don't see a good way this story can end with anything but the worst types of stories for me. Because it feels like a slippery slope that we've seen these characters go down before. And I have to wonder how much is Marvel saying, let's retell this for a new generation. You know, I have to wonder if that's the intent here. And if it is, I can see the value. I can see why Marvel would want to attempt to take some of their most famous stories and tell them again. But I also think that we're at a point where perhaps we've outlasted the value of those stories, maybe just a little bit. And I would hope to think that if we're going to continue putting Laura in these sorts of positions where her identity is questioned and her body is questioned, we can maybe start to see a little bit more coming from female creators or non-male creators who understand the needs of the non-male character a little more. Yeah, that's really, if we're doing this, I think that is not just the best that you can ask for, but the minimum. It feels like something that that's just becoming part of uh, uh, Laura's character now, like, hey, let's question that about her. You know, it's kind of like they did for with Polaris for a while. Like, hey, let's have somebody possess Polaris for a while. Won't that be fun? Nobody's done that before. Is she crazy? Is she drunk? Who knows? Maybe she can make herself an attractive hat out of silverware. <laughs> And it's funny because we are in other ways, like even things like these omnibuses, like we are getting a an idea that Laura is really important and it's understood. So many people we see online talking about like Laura's Wolverine, like, oh, you're going to we're going to cast an X-Men movie. Wolverine is Daphne Keene because that's Laura. That's Wolverine. And, you know, I know that's not everybody that might not even be a majority opinion, but I think there is a very strong voice that sees this character as being really great and really special and inevitably throughout the books as a whole I feel like she's up there in those really like you would even call them like B plus A minus tier characters like Magic who you know they're not the O5 they're not like famous on that household name level but they're pretty close and they're really special to people and I think Laura is a fantastic example of that and you know another I mean Storm is the biggest name but like stuff like this doesn't happen to Storm like we know that Storm is untouchable for gross, weird storylines that are questionable at best. And I think that is a zone that Laura deserves to be in, especially giving her zebra daddy prostitute origins. Like, we already did that. Let's get her out of this permanently. And I think if we're going to be talking clones, then let's be talking clones. I find the inclusion of Deadpool and Craven in so much of X-Force only so frustrating because neither one of them is a regular character in X-Force. <laughs> so why, why are both of them getting so much panel time in X-Force? force that kind of troubled me but you know what craven craven's a spider-man villain we just did devil's reign with kingpin and we know dark web is coming and zeb wells wrote a lot of sinister back in hellions so i can see where this is all synergistic but craven come on you're supposed to be hunting and you killed jay guthrie (laughs) really that's like the lamest kill i've ever heard they're not gonna let you go to mean hunter man camp anymore (laughs) your ass is grass bro i'm so sad about you uh i was so mad about i was like "Ooh, maggot and i was like oh maggot 
So, okay, how do you guys feel about Craven, a clone, running around X-Force where we have, you know, a lot of reason to think that perhaps we're dealing with the, I don't want to say the machinations of Beast and the potentiality of limitless cloning for dark purposes, but I think Craven taking Beast hostage, I don't know why, but I found it oddly erotic. The <laughs> whole knife to the throat thing. It just, and oh my God, they drew and colored Beast so good in this he looked real fine and anyway i have problems and <laughs> i i don't know this book just feels like it should be the cloniest book but i feel like it's sometimes the loneliest book <sighs> so i mean yes this has to be dark web right i mean this has like why else would a like craven clone be coming in like i'm gonna hopefully gonna team up with dean's clone and peter parker's clone that'd be cool it, but, I... but why <laughs> <laughs> we just need joseph nico you got me to the fact that this is not the original Craven because we were doing Spider-Man research for our MC2 stuff. And that was the only, I went back, I don't think there's any way that you can know that otherwise. Correct? You have to be reading Amazing Spider-Man, yeah. Which it doesn't really <laughs> suggest that you do, so that's odd too. Yes, it has to be dark web, and that's fine. We cross over all the time. Sometimes they don't feel like advisable crossovers. It happens so much. <laughs> Comic fans understand and forgive it even if it's you know you're gonna make me read spider-man to understand why this guy is here that's something that we are faced with you know like four to ten times a year like we we can always make the decision of like uh i'm gonna just google what's going on with this craven i'm not gonna pick up the spider-man issue but like you know maybe if it was happening in like thor or something i really cared about i would i would read that and you know i think dark web conceptually looks pretty cool i'm definitely interested in checking it out so i don't mind that that this, this has a bunch of story beats that seem to be driving in that direction. I find it odd that it is in a book that is uh, attached to Judgment Day and that that connection to Judgment Day feels really, really tacked on with like not good tags, like dollar store tags. <laughs> But again, we're comics fans. We know this stuff happens and a lot can be forgiven when it's not piling up. This is just, we got a lot of issues of this Craven situation that I don't know what they were driving to for X-Force. Nico, I'm sorry, we have the same problems. I really love Beast in this issue. I, you know, Beast as an animal being hunted by an animal hunter is kind of in and of itself a great thing. But the thing about it is we have have been waiting for there to be some sort of comeuppance for Beast or addressing all of the shit that he has done and it seems like rather than getting to moments where that can be explored at all he's just tortured a little bit more randomly like you know some dude shows up and shrinks and jumps into his fucking ear or stabs his eye or whatever the fuck a hunter shows up and takes him hostage but nobody is really getting from him how are you the bouncing bubbly beast like how are you that same person how have you gone so downhill ever since morrison's new x-men what is wrong with you why are you this miserable why are you this vindictive at times why are you this callous and we keep getting moments where it would be possible to bring that stuff up or highlight it or do something and instead we just keep getting action so there's another weird problem this these two issues being a judgment day tie-in and wolverine 25 being a judgment day tie-in it's like how how many 
hours like judgment day takes place in one day right how yes. many hours does logan fucking have in a day like, oh man the eternals are attacking again oh geez what do you mean again it's still <laughs> right when did the scene where craven goes to visit the mountain take or avengers headquarters take place because like i thought the issue took place during judgment day but if it took place during judgment day wouldn't like he be awake and a god by now i don't know and i felt like the main draw i had that made me excited about the x-force issue was i felt like maybe i was going to see a good amount of sage she was here i also was surprised by the amount of doubling up right so sage represents this sort of one by itself the only person saying that everybody should work together that feels like a really weird thing to have to say we should work together what the fuck but you know i felt like deadpool and wolverine kind of operate in a similar mode you know i felt like craven and wolverine looked identical and then they looked kind of identical to the dinosaur which was in and of itself kind of frustrating craven and omega red both represent like the red menace and the fear of russia and like i just felt like there was a lot of doubling up here without a concrete plan to utilize the double ups to some kind of effect yeah very much and that really is the problem no problem doubling up you know the russia as a giant menace to the x-men is a very important thing apparently that i have my own problems with but sure so yeah if you give me two russian characters that's a good time to play around with that but nope they're just both kind of there and russian and i do feel like this is a good set of issues for omega red in terms of that character growth sage's connection to him while maybe something i don't really see i do think the writing is buying it in some capacity like i think we're working there and i appreciate sage's perspective on the character of omega red for for sage unfortunately that is both where she gets a lot of her highlighted time which like laura she deserves more and better but that idea that she has a moral grayness that allows her to see good in people and see redemption in people is pretty cool compared to beast's moral grayness of like i'm doing the most horrible fucking things you can think of because i love you all there's cool stuff happening it's just you do find things like the kind of one note two times for no reason other than we just happen to have two of the same note lying around i know we were bringing up like omega red i think it just popped in my mind like these are probably like some of my favorite omega red issues so far like it's really it's it's gross but it's also fun to see them walk into the where the hatchery with all the discarded or the husks that haven't been activated yet and he's just down there chowing down on one and he's like i don't want to waste the protein mm-hmm. and like there was some cute the the interplay with deadpool where he's like oh, i'm gonna fucking hate you aren't i like those those were some really fun moments so I, I i did get to see some good in omega red to make me start to like him a little better yeah fine fine i'll come around on him um you're, you're just, still not feeling it no i kind of just don't really care about omega red in general i feel the same way yeah. but i am impressed that they're they're taking the time and i do think they are managing to move the dial on the character in terms of who he might become i don't really care either way but at least what i can acknowledge is that they're doing the work because it does seem like they started with what if whiplash got melted into his suit wearing a phantom of the opera mask and it was music of the night a la russia (laughs) 
<laughs> Omega Red gesturing with this carbonadium things, and he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, suddenly the senses, yes, yes, yeah, it, exactly." Like to go from that idea of the character to you know uh, the weird vampire dude that's like trying to do right, and the fact that like they they resurrected him because it was the right thing to do because they kind of fucked with him so many times before that, and Sage really saying like, "I think you." can be better i think you can be part of our mutant nation and be an asset and have community and have a place to belong that's a cool thing to do with a kind of silly one-off villain the waste might be that no matter what it's still omega red but i appreciate the effort <laughs> i was just gonna say the most interesting thought like came in my mind so is, is vampirism part like of their genetics once they get it because does it like when they resurrect they if they were vamp like he's still a vampire so like uh, well he's not a like vampire vampire yeah but yeah like it is like that's he the part of his mutation is life force consumption and but you know there, there's so much that was introduced about how you might change a person for the better for them if they were resurrected and it goes back to like talking about cloning and the fact that we're seeing iterations of people there so much was put on the table that you could use when you're telling these stories that it's sometimes a little tough to understand why a particular creator went the direction they went and use the tools that they did when we're very aware of all the tools that are available. Speaking of all the tools that are available, I don't know that I make a whole lot of the content of Wolverine number 25's main story. I very much appreciate the story they're trying to tell and I can understand the idea of Logan on this amazing journey. I thought the art in this issue was stunning, mm -hmm. but there was no characterization of Dokken other than the greatest nickname of all time with Lolo. And that is all I'm ever going to call him ever again. <laughs> but I don't feel that I really understood what I was supposed to take from this story. And I felt like it was beautiful uses of blue and this hand bride was interesting, but I didn't get much from it. I mean, I think some of the most interesting stuff we got from it was for uh, Punisher and Ghost Rider coverage. Yes, that is a true statement. Yeah, gorgeous art. I, I just... They gave us this idea of this deadly, perpetually horny pansexual that would definitely fuck Logan if given the option. And I just, to me, like, to go the route of Logan is, like, grumpy about it when so much, again, tools have been on, put on the table. Like, we know he's fucking around with Scott and Gene. He is coming into some stuff with his sexuality. We don't need to go into pure, like, he definitely wants to fuck. But that he couldn't play into the flirtation a little bit. Just like, it's kind of boring. It's something we've seen so many times that Wolverine is just so put off by people who aren't being serious. We're seeing it with Deadpool in issues of Wolverine and an X-Force. Like, we get it. Logan's a big old grump. But the whole thing about Krakoa is that he's actually changing. and He's really happy and cool things are happening for him. And he's a bit lighter hearted at times. And the fact that he has met a person who is in some ways his equal and that he's still just like nothing but grumpy is just 
boring. There's so much like it was hyped up to be like the new saber tooth for Logan, you know, solemn and can't yeah, the interplay it doesn't drive Logan's story forward at all. Any it's just, and it sort of regresses him by some of this interaction. And I don't know that I really understood the backup story exactly. Not that it was hard to read or anything. Mm-hmm. I I wasn't confused by it. But we're living in a world where we just had that incredible Life of Wolverine ten part series on Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. This felt like a cheaper version of that, and not cheaper for any reason done poorly by Ben Percy. I don't believe Ben Percy could have done in the few pages he had what was accomplished with 10 issues of something else. So I do want to give Ben Percy a lot of credit for trying to put together like, a, oh, look oh, look at all of the different elements of Wolverine I can show kind of story. But it did feel very just shoved in the back of issue 25. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we definitely, I, I sang the praises of how much Ben Percy clearly loves Wolverine. And this is a, you know, another story that says that it's just really like after all of this writing in two different books and a bunch of miniseries about Wolverine that there was any need to be like, and just in case you didn't know, I really love Wolverine. Here's a little treat for you. I don't really know what to do with it at this point. Like it's, it's everywhere in these books. And that's the problem. This backup story read like, because it's a bar homage, it read like every other bar homage is Wolverine. Like, it doesn't push him forward. There were some cute art choices. Like, it's in the in the one panel, Wolverine peeing in the urinal is <laughs> drinking out of the toilet. The urinal, I think he or... was throwing up. I thought yeah. he was yeah. passed out drunk and Logan was like, ah, I'm down to my third bottle. You know what I mean? Like, right. Logan's <laughs> just emptying it back out and Kurt's like, ja, I'm, I'm very, I'm not going to offend anybody with a terrible German accent. I'm just going to say, ja. I'm very sick with the throw-ups. Ja. But then, like, like to end it, where, like, he's at a drag bar in Flamingo. I want to know everything about her. Like, oh um, my god. I believe like, this is a reference to one of the two Wolverine podcasts. Yes, yes. Where this character appears. And if you haven't checked those out, they're really fun. Also by Ben Percy. Yes. Yep. So, I want to bring our attention to one other pretty major thing which is that with Jerry Duggan having been the one on the panel who spoke the most about the upcoming fall of X and Kieran Gillen being so tied up in Judgment Day related things, Ben Percy having said that he might even be leaving comics for prose via his Twitter and some cryptic tweets. I wonder if we're ambling toward more of a Jerry Duggan X-Men and then what does that mean about a world where we're still investing in like 60 fucking pages of Ben Percy a month. I mean, I think one of the things it could mean is a big new writer announcement or influx of younger, fresher writers that can do a bunch of like five issue miniseries and that type of thing. I'd be thrilled with that. Sure. Um, you know, I also if if Duggan had a bigger presence, I don't know how it could get much bigger, but like if it were revolving around him even more, I guess the one thing that I would really hope is maybe we could get back to those characters with whom he is fantastic because many of them are plausible X-Men characters. You know, you could have, I mean, we've had an X-Men team with uh, Kitty and 
and Emma. So there are some characters that I love him writing, and unfortunately they are basically all marauders. But, you know, like, bring Pyro back. I There is a version of a team book that could be the central team book that I would love from Duggan. This one, these characters, I just, I'm not seeing eye to eye with him on yeah. the character concepts. Yeah, I, I, agreed. I, I think there's a, a specific play box he has that he's amazing at. Like, amazing. Like, Emma Frost, I love his Emma Frost. But I think when you expand his character set, he doesn't always have the right voices for the characters. Also, like, the, the use of the characters he's given, like, Yana just seems to be there. There's, I mean, I know it's a huge team book and we haven't gotten her focus yet, but Yana's just kind of there. And Firestar, at this point, he would have known that she was going to be a character. So, like, you're going to use her. There's some really interesting stories you could tell. You got to tell the stories. Like, he literally faxes her away in this book. <laughs> to the Avengers Mansion! <laughs> Which was a funny thing. Was. That was a hilarious joke. Like, it was. <laughs> but the idea that you would take, like, literally just take a team member and put them off to the side when we've had this huge to-do of putting them on the team. Yeah. And especially that character where, like, it was a little bit controversial. I think there's still a huge chunk of us that don't love the idea. Monet is sitting right there, welly, ready, willing, not a white woman. And so, you know, we went through all this rigmarole to get this person. You really just put her off to the side with a hilarious joke. So, okay. But, yeah, I mean, come on. So I want to play a, a short game mm -hmm. because I said to myself, we have three titles, right? I said, well, have these numbers ever happened before and I was pretty shocked there has only ever been one volume of X-Force that's ever reached issues 32 and 33 before oh my god the original yeah the original no other run has ever reached 32 issues of X-Force oh yeah that's really crazy I know. <laughs> it's crazy when you think about all the uh, Wolverine uh, wet works for uh, Cyclops ones because those feel like yeah. they went on forever they did did they all reboot oh my god and then like uncanny x-force rebooted like five times yep yeah it they just didn't they didn't go the distance and it is shocking to me that that is the case what is even more shocking to me is this is the seventh volume of a book named wolverine hmm. what i did not expect was this is only the third volume to ever reach issue 25 huh the first volume was was only a four issue miniseries then volumes two and three hit 25 issues volumes four five and six were like quick reboots they were like one right on top of another renumbering 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 all for the death of wolverine and so then this is the first one to hit 25 issues there is however one notable exception i would like to make wolverine origins oh, no. hit 25 issues oh that's not the one we needed <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Percy wants to write some fucking Wolverine. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, he did it. Do I always love the direction he goes with his Wolverine? No, but I really think, I think TK said this earlier, like when we come out of this years from now, Percy's gonna be one of those iconic voices of Wolverine where you can just say, okay, that, that's very Percy-like of this Wolverine. Well, and you know, when I think when new writers are coming in and thinking they want to do like a X-Men the Animated Series version of Wolverine, because that's what they remember, this will be something that people can point to and be like, read this, 
start him here. He should be about this guy. And then, you know, build what you want for him in terms of whatever your story is. But like what you see here, this is most of it. For me, like I think he should be a little bit more visibly not completely heterosexual and, but you know like there are randomly just tiny little moments where Percy touches on it and even Flamingo is almost close to one of those like sometimes Wolverine is written as so painfully heterosexual that the idea that he would go to a drag bar or have like a drag queen assassin friend would be insane but like even getting that is a step towards what I'm talking about but yeah I mean I really do think this will be kind of like the baseline going forward for Wolverine. Now I am super excited to share this next part there has however been an issue 16 of every run of x-men so far so this is volume six mm-hmm. and that means there have been five issue 16s before and most of them have actually been kind of significant in different ways and that's sort of cute right yeah. uh the first one from way back in 1965 sees the x-men squaring off against the master mold okay x-men volume two number 16 also sees Havoc show up but he's in that era that you liked so much TK mm-hmm. we're talking X Factor because this is Executioner's song mm-hmm. Executioner's song right now that's of course from January 1993 now down in October of 2011 we had Betrayal in the Bermuda Triangle which was a Victor Gishler arc oh god <laughs> I remember it, but I yeah. try not to. That was, I think, no one's favorite run of X-Men ever. It's just not really that book for most of us. Mm-hmm. It just didn't hit home in the right ways. Always felt kind of funny. So, you know, pass on that one. Volume four, unfortunately, is marred by a writer who is no longer, you know, really chill. But that X-Men was the kind of who run the world girls kind of X-Men by Brian Wood, which featured Storm, Psylocke, Marvel Girl, Jubilee, M, Chimera. Mera, Beast, Annalie, Pixie, Armor, Hellion, Rockslide, Sprite, Primal, Surge, Grey Malkin, Transonic, Velocidad, Mercury, Bling, Gentle, Blindfold, Cypher. Fucking hell. <clears throat> and then I'm going to go with issue 16 from X-Men by Hickman was the first post Ten of Swords issue. <clears throat> so issue 16, not a bad issue to sit at if you're an X-Book. You know, those some of those are uh, of history. I would say that some of the others are just like, well, no one fucking cared about that run the same way so it's a little bit harder to, to push it but you know I mean and it, and it seems like we're probably doing at minimum 24 for this there's time for it to go in different directions I think we commented frequently that the first 12 and I really don't understand why this didn't reboot given everything but whatever it did not end up being everybody gets one highlight issue or even one highlight storyline like some characters just didn't really get to see the light of day and so I know we're getting a Firestar issue at some point, but I am pretty concerned that it was a whole lot of to-do to put her on the team just to have Magic throw her in a portal a bunch. I definitely worry about that beat. Sync was such a player in those first 12 issues, and while I know he needs to take a little bit of a backseat, I, I worry that it's just rather than finding a nice balance throughout 24 issues that we're just kind of going to be bouncing back and forth at extremes. Yeah, definitely. 
personally. Like that, my my biggest criticism, especially with the second team, is lack of diversity. Not only missing, you know, more people of color mutants, but it also doesn't have any mutants with really visible body mutations. So like, there's just there's a lot of issues I have. And speaking a lot of issues, and that we have, I want to thank you both for being a part of this very special recording because I got to celebrate Miracle Man in a special recording for X's for Podcasts 400th episode, and that makes this our 401st episode, which just feels like it kicks off something new. It just feels special and awesome and like the kind of thing you run on a cool Friday. And when I looked, there's only one X book that's hit 401. Who knew? But that's Uncanny X-Men and that makes it the enough said issue. That's what I I was like, we need to not talk. And uh, that's, of course, Nightcrawler, Stacey X, and Wolverine, three of my favorite X-Men of all time. And I just want to say that whether you are my Nightcrawler and Wolverine or my Wolverine and Stacey X or my Nightcrawler and Stacey X. however, very clearly Stacey X, I think. I no, you're I'm Wolverine. Night- it's fine. I'm you're Wolverine, Wolverine and yeah. Nathan is Nightcrawler. That, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I don't I don't date my sister. So. No, and you don't have a weird relationship with both smelling like egg salad and religion. So right? <laughs> I'm hey, gonna go with that. There's always tomorrow. There is. And I just want to thank you both so much for kicking off 401 the right way and starting a whole new era of X's for podcast. It's so exciting. And I loved talking these five issues with you guys. And here's to 400 more issues and episodes. And here's to a whole lot more X's for podcast. Oh, it's X's 400. Oh, that's going to be a cute. Okay. So <laughs> love it. Love it. It's been fun, guys. Thank you so much. Cheers, queers. Hey everybody, Nico here one more time, and I just want to thank everybody for 400 amazing episodes from our listeners to my collaborators. It's been so amazing shaping out this show. We've had so many incredible hosts and voices over the years, and I just want to take a moment to thank my amazing husband, Kevo, who does the images for all of our episodes every week, putting together the issue covers with the graphics and making it all look so good. And to the voices that have been with us since the beginning, like Kyle and Jonah, whose idea it was to do this show, he wanted to talk Nightcrawler, and now it's become this thing and so many of the incredible voices that have shaped the show that we've picked up along the way like Nathan, TK, Josh and so many more. I'm so grateful for all the hard work that everybody behind the scenes puts in. It's a real pleasure to produce this show, to get to edit it and I seriously am so grateful to so many of the voices that are here every single week like Steve, Raven, Jake, Arturo. These people just give of their time and they don't miss a week and it always means so much to me that these people make the show such a priority so that we're able to make such amazing content. It means the world to me. I also want to thank everybody for being a part of this constant evolution of this show. It started out covering 1970s X-Men and then did some classic and modern and before you knew it, we're all modern and now it's sort of the entire Marvel universe and it's really amazing. And what's also amazing is when I get to do sort of one-on-one segments and just talk to the listeners, you guys, it's really amazing getting 
something to talk out my feelings on a book. There's something really unique about the experience of having to like think out what you're trying to say and how you want to deliver this idea to your audience and make sure that, you know, since I know I'm going to edit it, I want to make sure that I'm saying it all in a way that feels honest. And it's really made me think about comics differently, getting this opportunity to not just be part of the show as a collective, but getting to be the producer and editor. It's meant a lot to me to feel like I get to love comics in a new way and getting to share that with an audience is really terrific. So as always, you can expect to see more of this show Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, bringing you sort of totemic symbology, MC2, Spider-Girl. It's getting crazy out there, but it definitely follows a through line if you check out most Mondays. Obviously, today's a special episode. It's 401 and we had to do it right. So, but Mondays, usually MC2, kind of Spider-Girl, totem shit. It's real cool. Wednesdays and Fridays, checking out more of those amazing Marvel titles you love, the modern stuff. We're also working on maybe a little bit more of a conversational approach to multiple titles at once as we did today and hopefully you guys are checking that out and enjoying it and we can't wait to bring you more. You can find the show at xsforpodcast.com and at xsforpodcast on Twitter and as for me, you can check me out at Nico Action on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action and I C O A C T I O N. And until 402, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Remember, we're pretty pretty positive on Infinity Comics here. So hopefully if something's gone right, maybe people are checking out those Infinity Comics a little bit more. Maybe that's something could have come out of 400 episodes, hopefully, right? And we'll see ya.